Hi friends, my name is Kyle and I get to be the lead pastor of Friends Church Orange. On behalf of myself and our team and our entire church family, we are thrilled that you're choosing to listen to this message and invest in your relationship with God. We believe that he's going to be speaking to you and inviting you to become more of who he created and designed you to be. So if there's anything we can do to serve you on that journey, we invite you to reach out to us. But for now, enjoy this message and listen for God's voice. We're so glad you guys are here. We're so honored to um, celebrate this day with you. Um, We pray that this ministers to you in a special way. We know that, uh, that life is challenging. And we know this because it's what we feel, it's what we experience every day, and we know the last few years in particular have been really hard. Uh, one of the things, how many of you have a mom? Just quick, quick, okay, great. Just want to make sure you guys are all like, oh, we're here together. So, uh, so we've all seen motherhood up close, uh, and, and many of us, I got a different view of motherhood when we started having kids uh, about 19 years ago now. And one of the things we see is that mothering is, is exhausting and it's weighty. And it's something that women, you guys feel uniquely and you, you, carry, you carry spiritual weight and relational weight and emotional weight and, and the burden of family differently than we as men carry it. And it was something that Holiday and I, as we were looking towards this weekend and we were talking and praying through, I said, I wonder what the world would say about this. So I just looked up a few little things and I found one article that was pretty interesting and kind of staggering in the way that it describes the way that you guys hold burdens. It says that women spend on average about two hours a day worrying. 75% of that time is worrying about others. It's worrying about your kids, it's worrying about your family, it's worrying about your spouse, it's worrying about relationships. It's the relational burden that you carry on behalf of somebody else. It said 65% of women have periods of time where they are constantly worried. So more than two hours. It may be a day, it may be a season, right? It may be something overwhelming. And 72% of women have a tendency to minimize or ignore health symptoms that starts to arise because of stress. Ladies, we need you to take care of yourselves, right? Your body is telling you something in what you're carrying. You're two times more likely to worry about your kids or grandkids or your family than men are. Come on, men. Like, that's... That's kind of sad, right? It's like, let's pick it up. Because you project that out, and they were even talking a little bit about the pandemic in the past few years, and they were saying, you know, all of a sudden, everybody's bolted down, and the whole world is thrown into this incredible disruption, you know, politically and economically and socially and relationally and vocations and everything, nothing, right? And you think about how women went through that season, the amount of anxiety and stress and worry that they were taking on on behalf of family or friends or kids or students or whatever that might be. And you know what men were worried about predominantly? Themselves, basically is what the article said. They're worried about the economy, politics, and their job. (laughs) So basically that's it. That's the way we worry and we worry differently. Do you know that kind of worry, honey? No, no, no. So, no, I don't, don't have that problem. <laughs> so here's the thing. One of the things true with everyone, so why women may worry differently and maybe even carry the burden of worry differently than men. We know that all of us, all of us carry worry. All of us carry stress. All of us carry this weight in our life that we were never designed to carry. 
which is why I'm so glad that you guys are here today. I'm so glad that we're not just celebrating and honoring moms, but we're celebrating and honoring a pathway through life where we can actually experience a sense of freedom and fullness. I'm glad you're here because I believe that you're going to find through this passage uh, just a chance for God to bring the kind of healing and hope that we were designed to walk in. And it's a story that's familiar uh, to lots of you guys. Probably if you brought your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 2. It's one of Holiday and I's favorite stories in the Bible. And John chapter 2, at the very beginning, verse 1, it says this, On the third day... A wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to this wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mom said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, right. Kind of an eyebrow raiser, isn't it? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he says. Now, here's the thing. So many questions start to swirl in our minds when we read a passage, just a few verses like this. Sociologically, right, theologically, all these things hit us differently. For some, we get stuck, get stuck on like the first few words, on the third day. Some of your translations probably say on the next day, and you start thinking the third day, why does that matter? The next day, the next day from what? The next day after what happened before, and does that matter? Some of us, right, get stuck on the role of Mary and the relationship to the celebration. Why is Mary getting involved? Maybe this is some of the weight or the burden she's, but why is Mary the one feeling like she's got to solve this problem for this wedding? How about Jesus? Huh? All of us just so thrilled and excited about the way he talks to his mom. I mean, just what a great example he's setting on Mother's Day, you know? Some of us, we we look and we want to legitimize the church's role in a, a wedding or a marriage by just the fact that Jesus was present. So see, there you go. I told you so. And lots of, I don't know about lots of you, some of you, Mike gets stuck where I got stuck. Like the church that I grew up in, we focused on none of that. Where I would have gotten stuck, the wine. <laughs> right? Like, wait, what? Is that even okay? Like, what? Wine? Why was Mary worried about wine? Don't they know that's alcohol and you could die and you're going to hell? <laughs> like, that's the way we think. Like, we just we can't get past the wine. So here's the thing. Questions, the questions are good. And there's, there, especially in today's day and age, there are so many amazing resources available to every single one of us. And I would encourage you, whatever questions start to swirl, not just from today, but in life, you should chase those. There's something there that God has for you that he wants for you. And so I want to invite you to do that. But, but I, what I want to do is sort of tighten us down because as Holiday and I were talking and praying this week, we're going to walk through this story, just these few verses. And here's the thing, I want you to know, we're going to walk through it a little differently than the way we would on most weekends. I want you to think of it, instead of a message with like, here's the point, and we're going to sort of talk through this in like three acts of a play. And And we're going to bring just a couple different things that we want you to focus on. Yeah. I love it so much because I feel like this is a story between a relationship, a tender relationship between a a mother and a son. And I love it so much because it's also this tender relationship between a woman and a powerful God. I love it because it shows the compassion of God. It shows his tenderness, his kindness, and it's a promise. It's a big promise that he will redeem everything. Yeah, God, um, for all of us, you're gonna get a great invitation today to see and experience and receive the kindness and the compassion and the forgiveness 
and the powerful grace of God expressed through his son Jesus. That's what I believe God's going to say to you today. So let's go back, talk through this a little bit. Uh, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Okay, so the first thing we have to understand contextually is there's a wedding. This is, there's the setting, right? Here's the scene. It's a wedding. And something, you know, weddings come to mind for all of us, and we understand, and lots of us have been in weddings, we've been part of weddings, we maybe had a wedding, but we understand weddings are beautiful, they're fantastic, you know, they're gorgeous, sometimes they start in the afternoon, you have great parties and celebrations, sometimes they last 12 hours, it's incredible. What you have to understand about weddings in the first century is they lasted at least a week, sometimes two. So the wedding was not like, hey, let's have a great party. Wow, that was exhausting and expensive for 12 hours. The wedding, the whole celebration lasts like at least a week. And the host, the family, is expected to provide the food and the beverage and the wine and everything needed for a great party for the entire week. I know. That's a lot, isn't it? Like all the, like, wow, families are going, holy mackerel, I have two daughters and I'm reading this going, I'm so glad I lived today and not back then. That sounds so expensive and overwhelming. So here's the thing. To run out of anything as part of that wedding celebration would have been a massive failure on behalf of the family. It would have brought shame and embarrassment not just to the, to the bride and the groom and to the party and to the family. It's something they would have talked about forever. And it's not like, oh, wow, it's a no big deal. It's kind of like, you know, we see wedding fails today and somebody slips on the dance floor or the cake falls over and you're like, ha that's crazy. And, you know, you remember, hey, remember that time that happened? It's not that. It's something that oftentimes even other cultures understand way more powerfully than we do as Western Americans. But the idea of shame being brought and blanketed over a family because of failure was huge. And so we have a wedding and that's in danger and that's what leads us to the problem. The wine has run out. This isn't like three hours into the party and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, there's no more wine and what are we gonna do and send somebody to Trader Joe's, you know what I mean? It's like grab some more cases of you know, $3 wine. That's not what happens. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. You're probably three days, not three hours, into this celebration. And all of a sudden, there's a problem. The wine's run out. And Mary is feeling the weight and responsibility of that failure. And the shame somehow is going to get put on her and her family, which would include her son, Jesus. And so somehow she's feeling the burden of what's taking place. Why? We don't know. Don't know. Maybe it was some kind of distant family member, cousin. Maybe Mary was the first event planner in all of history. She's like, I got it. I'm going to try a new vocation. I'm going to be the CEO. I don't know. We don't know. But somehow she's feeling the weight of this. She's trying to solve the problem because she knows She knows that the weight of this failure 
And this shame is going to rest on her to some degree. We get that. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I know you as women get that. You get what it feels like. I think we've heard the, the phrase a woman's intuition. Um, but we know what it feels like to walk into a room and feel the weight of something. Maybe it's your friend is a little bit off. You can tell she's carrying something or he's carrying something. And you're just like, he doesn't seem right. I don't know what it is. But you can sense it. You can walk into a space. Maybe you walk into an event and you just feel something's off. It's like you can feel that the, the missing link or something is there. And we feel that just like Kyle was talking about at the very beginning of the statistics of what a woman tends to hold. And that is what is happening here. Either way, whether Mary is the event planner or she's just feeling the weight of the room and wants to intercede. She wants to help. She doesn't want shame to be on anyone. So, which leads us to, she's looking for the solution. Right? And who does she look towards? Jesus. Jesus, We're in church and the right answer is always Jesus. Jesus. You're not going to miss with that Uh, uh, sometimes. But usually (laughs) it's Jesus. And in this case, it's Jesus. She turns to Jesus, turns to her son. Right? And she clearly is trusting and believing that he's the one that somehow is going to solve this. He's the one that somehow can make this right. He's the answer, the only way through. And so that's why I think for us, knowing even a little bit more about the context, it's even more startling what Jesus says in verse four. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. And we go, ah, it sounds a little strong. Like, I don't think I want Jesus teaching my kids how to talk to me or any (laughs) other grown adult, right? It sounds a little harsh. But here's what we know. There's something in us that says, wait a minute, that also, the way we read it, the tone that we hear it in, it seems inconsistent. Like there's no way, you know, what we know and understand about Jesus, there's no way that that's what's really going on. I mean, if, if you've been coming to church and following Jesus for a long time, or if this is your first time here, everybody has a context where Jesus is revered as one of the most amazing human beings, teachers, people that walk the planet, his whole life was dedicated to forgiveness and kindness and compassion and grace and healing people and making them whole and inviting them into this new life. It's like, how can he treat his own mom like this? There has to be something more going on. And so, of course, there is. We have to understand a couple things. Some of your translations, probably the New Living and others, say, dear woman, which kind of softens it a little bit, right? You go from woman to dear woman. But what we need to understand is that not just biblically, but also culturally in the first century, people were often uh, spoken to and even described in the Bible by their role or their title, not just their name. Which is why when you read through the Bible, oftentimes you're gonna see the brother of James, the mother of Jesus, whatever, like there's a role and a title and a descriptor that's, they would do that in person as well. And oftentimes, because of the first century, it was viewed as the relationship that they held to the male or to whoever the person was they were referring to. And we understand that often when we're meeting new people. I was off holiday. Uh, I get to go somewhere with my wife last week and you know, she gets to hold all of the fantastic outreach things that we do here to weave ourselves into the fabric of the community. It's the church in disguise, you know, through the youth centers and full circle and our new ministry, the homeless and everything happening. And so. In those things, you know, everybody knows holiday. Nobody knows me. It's fantastic. And so, you know, I'm meeting people. Hi, my name's Kyle, whatever, you know. Who are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm Holiday's husband. I mean, that's my name. Like, I'm Holiday's husband. That's my thought. Like, 
That's all you need to know. Holiday's husband. Don't need a name. So that's kind of what's happening here. But also, Jesus is referring to what? My time, my hour for some of you has not yet come. And what does that mean? Well, we look at Jesus, and even as he's unfolding his ministry after this, and performing miracles, and people start getting a sense of who he is as the son of God who came to save the world. He's constantly going, shh, don't tell anybody. It's not time yet. And especially through the book of John, as he's unpacking these signs, these miracles, he's holding out for really the hour or the time of Jesus, which ultimately is the cross. Everything is pointing to the cross, which is the time and the hour where Jesus is actually finally glorified in his fullness, acknowledging who he is as the son of God who came to take away all of the sin and all of the brokenness and all of the damage and all of the failure and all of the shame of the entire world. So he's saying maybe differently in our words, it'd be like, mom, maybe it's not the harsh tone and harsh language. It's probably a little softer. It's probably like, mom, mama, it's not time yet. It's not time. I love it because I feel like it's this tender moment where Jesus is saying, Mama, it's not time yet. But the literal translation, the actual little, literal translation is, saying, is this, Mama, what's this between me and you? What is this between us? And I feel, this is what I love about God's word in the Bible, it's this tender moment, a very actually pow- and a very actual powerful moment where Jesus is talking to his mom And he's saying, what is this to us? Meaning, Mary, things are about to change for us. I'm your son, but I'm about to transition into God, the savior of the world. No longer am I just your son. I'm about to start my ministry here, Mary. What is this to us? This is gonna change things. Are you ready? And with a deep sincerity to his mom, who he's walked with, who they were refugees together, mm-hmm. who the things that she's seen his mom had to battle, to leave, to be isolated, to be ashamed, to be pushed aside, he was there. He watched it all. And he's saying, Mama, are you ready for this? This is the moment where all those things we've battled together, all those things I've seen you sacrifice, all of it, Mama. Are you ready? I'm about to take stage here. I'm about to redeem it all. Are you ready? And at this beautiful moment, Mary knows because they have that special relationship, that deep intensity, and she knows, okay, things are gonna change. And she looks over at the, at, at the servants and she says, do whatever he says. Isn't that awesome? Here she is, this moment, she's been this mom, and she's battled, and she's been so brave, and she's been so courageous, and she's had to see so many things, and been through so much, and she's like, it's time. It's time. And I love it so much, because just like our God does, he erases the shame, and at that moment, the first miracle is between the mother and the son. She gets to see the water change to wine. She gets to hold another miracle in her heart, the very first miracle, and all the shame, all of it taken off. Because not only is there no shame at the wedding, it's joyous. 
We get to hear more from the story, but it's like this wonderful party. They're celebrated for the beautiful, amazing, best wine ever coming to the surface. So it's just beautiful how God redeems and he takes all of it and he uses it all. It's beautiful because from this point on, not just in this story, but from this point on through the rest of the Gospel of John, Mary kind of fades into the background. And she doesn't appear again in the Gospel of John until the very end. And in John 19, we see Jesus' final moment, his glory, his hour, his time has come. He's been beaten, he's been whipped, he's been abused. He's been abandoned by friends. He's been betrayed. And so bloody, he's hanging on a cross, and this is what we see. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mom and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mom standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here's your son. Can you imagine that? I think of the men in your life or your sons. Could you imagine watching the abuse, the blood, him being spit on, him at his last breath, hanging on the cross, the most gruesome way to die. And there she is and he says, Mama, it's me, your son. So tender and it just blew me away because at that moment I felt like he was saying to Mary, Mama, Look at, look at what we're about to do. I'm about to redeem the world. And Mary, I was there. I was there all those times that you fixed my skin knee, where you had to be shamed by your family, where you were kicked out of your own home, where again you were the refugee, where all those times where you gave up your broken dreams, where you said no to things, and you said yes to things that maybe you didn't even want to. I saw it all, and here I am. I'm about to save the world. Mary, it was worth it. It was worth it. And it's like this story I just heard this week. I just heard one of our favorite pastors told this story of this little girl, and her daddy went on a camping trip. And they were gonna build a fire together. So they collected all these sticks together and the dad was instructing her, saying, okay, this is what it means to build a fire. She was only about three or four, but they went to build the fire and he said, okay, put the little sticks on, build the, you know, what we're gonna do to build the fire and then you're gonna put the little match and what you're gonna do is blow on it. So the little girl gave her little breath as a three or four year old does and if you've ever seen a three or four, four year old give a little breath, it's usually more sucking in or more of a little tiny breath or more of just spit coming out of her mouth and that's what was happening. It was more just spit coming out of her mouth, barely any breath, it was just her trying to breathe life into this fire. But then suddenly the fire grew and it sparked and it lit and it was blazing and she was cheering, she was saying, Daddy, Daddy, look at what I just did. Look at the fire that I built. And her dad said, yes, honey, yes, you did. You built that fire. Look at it glow. Meanwhile, every time she was giving her little attempts to blow on the fire, those little attempts, he was giving his breath of life. He was breathing his life into the fire. And that's what was lighting the fire. And here's this moment where Jesus is on the cross and he's saying, Mary, it was all worth it. You helped me get here and you're going to help me. Not only that, 
I'm going to bring eternal life. And from that, I'm gonna give you my spirit and we're gonna change the world together. And that's what he's saying to you. He's saying all of it. He's seen all of it. He's seen all of your pain. He knows what you're holding. He knows the pain that you're bearing. And not only that, he's saying, I'm going to redeem it all. It will be all worth it. I don't know when he will show you. I don't know if it will be in heaven. I don't know if it will be here on earth, but he will show you that it was all worth it. Just recently, I was celebrating with a woman in her 80s. A miracle had happened in her life, something that she had been waiting for when she was 20 years old. And it was this beautiful miracle, and we were literally jumping up and down and screaming and giggling, and she was saying, you know, I wanted it so back then, but she said, my grandchildren and my children get to see it. God knew. He was waiting because this is my ultimate redemption. I wanted it truly now. And that's our God. He redeems it all. He will use it all. And that's what's happening in these final moments. He's looking at his mom and he's saying, woman, precious woman, I see it. I know it. I'll redeem it. And I'm going to use you to make amazing things happen. So those are the stories that John bookends his gospel with. The threat of shame and guilt and failure, overwhelming. Jesus saying, Mom, it's not time. And her saying and believing that it is. And the grace of God flowing through Jesus to do a miracle to bring freedom and life and a great celebration at a great party. And the very end, Jesus looking down from the cross at his mom, saying, Mom, here's your son. And the grace of God flowing through Jesus to remove any sense of guilt or shame or failure, to bring freedom and life in a great party. That's the invitation that God wants to give you this Mother's Day. So if you would, just bow your heads, close your eyes. I invite you to do that just to eliminate distraction. I want you just to think for a second. Let God speak to you. Maybe go back to where we started, which was what is the what are you worried about today? What's the anxiety or the stress, the weight that you're carrying in your life relationally or emotionally or even physically? The weight of failure or shame or guilt? And are you willing to do what Mary did, to do what Jesus invites all of us to do, which is just to look to him and do whatever he tells you to do. Trust him. Believe in him. Follow him. Go on this great adventure, this great celebration of life that lasts more than a day or even weeks but lasts a lifetime into eternity. 
So, Father, thank you for the way that you speak to every single one of us and you lead us and you guide us. Thank you for caring for us so deeply that you brought us here this morning so that we might see you, hear you, and be reminded of your love and your grace, your compassion that flows through Jesus into every one of our lives. And I pray that as we continue to walk through today in this life that we would receive everything that you have for us. Listen for your voice and follow courageously. And we pray this in the power of your name. Amen.